A crippled boy was once rushing to catch a train and carrying under his arm, he was carrying his, not only his crutches, but he was carrying some packages as he was struggling to reach this train. Suddenly, a man bumped into this uh, crippled young boy and knocked his parcels to the ground in all directions. And the man that bumped into him paused and looked at him and scolded him, saying, what in the world are you doing? Get out of the way. Another gentleman, seeing this youngster's distress, quickly picked up the scattered gifts and packages and slipped a dollar bill into this young boy's pocket, saying, I'm sorry, I hope this makes up for your trouble. The child who couldn't remember being shown such kindness called after him and said, Hey, mister, thank you. And sir, are you Jesus? No, replied the man, but I do know him. I do know him. Take your Bibles, please, and let's open up to the book of James chapter 2 as we talk about showing our faith. We're all seeds, if you will. There's a variety here. How do we know that each of you is a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, we determine that because once you are planted, it's the fruit that reveals whether or not you are a follower of Christ. We're in James chapter 2. We're looking at verses 14 through 26. And follow along here. James is talking about a real faith versus a dead faith. As you can probably guess, if you have a dead faith and you plant it, you're not going to see too much coming out of it. But if you have a living faith and it's planted, you should see love, joy, peace, pace, kindness, and goodness, and so forth. So anyhow, here we are in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And I'm going to be reading about a living faith versus a dead faith. Here's what James says. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith? I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Well, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? 
As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. All right. Get that back to you. Thanks. The rest of the message or passages are printed here, so we're in good shape. We're in good shape. Well, today we enter into an interesting passage of Scripture that talks about faith. Uh, James reveals to us that one's faith can be a living faith or a dead faith. One's faith can either ooze Jesus or it can be dry and non-existent. This morning, let's talk about this faith. As we begin this morning, it's important to understand that James is not talking about saving faith. There's a difference here. James is not talking about saving faith. Rather, he's talking about a faith that is demonstrated through works. He's not talking about, James is not talking about how a person gets to heaven. And this is important to realize For, you know, one could conclude from the reading of this passage, one could come to the conclusion that, you know, if I truly am going to be going to heaven, well, then I better be doing something. We could come away with this idea that I must do good things or engage in good works if I want to gain acceptance into heaven. At least that's an impression that we can derive from this particular portion of Scripture. Well, what I want you to understand is that uh, James is not suggesting by any means that we must be doing things in order to get to heaven. Rather, what he's talking about, he says, since you do claim to be a follower of Christ, that's your claim, well, then there should be some evidence of that claim that comes forth from your works and your behavior. So let me look at a few passages with you to bring clarity regarding this personal salvation. Remember, James is not talking about salvation. He's not talking about how you get to heaven, okay? And there's passages of Scripture that talk about that. The first passage of Scripture I want you to look at is Romans 3, verse 28. And here's what that passage says. It says this, We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Now look at this verse with me, that word justified, do you see it there? The word justified means to be declared right before God. We have a legal term taking place, and uh, justification says legally you have been declared right. Your crime has been taken care of, okay? Your sins have been uh, erased and dealt with. Therefore, legally you have this right standing before God. Notice in this verse... How does one achieve this right standing before God? What does it say? It's by what? By faith. You see that? By faith. It's not by doing certain things. The Bible makes it clear. It's by your faith that you are justified or declared right before God. Let's take a look at another passage. This passage is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Let me step out of the way. I'm going to invite you to participate with me. Let's... uh, Together, as a church body, recite this verse. So recite it out loud with me. Let's begin. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Very good. Thank you so much. Well, let's again just look at this verse together. Uh, this particular passage here in Ephesians makes it very clear that salvation is one, is a gift. Okay? Salvation, going to heaven, is a gift from God. Um, and that is appropriated. In other words, uh, you put it into action by faith or believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he makes it very clear once again uh, the role of works. Based on Ephesians 2, 8, 9, again, a question for you. What role does works, your good deeds, play in getting you to heaven? Based on this verse. The answer? Not works, is it? Not works. So that you can't boast. God wants to make it clear. You're not getting to heaven, you know, on your goodness or your good deeds. The reason you're going to heaven is because of the faith that you have placed in the one who has done it all for you. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. One more passage with you. Uh, consider Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Here's what it says. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. A lot of good things are shared here regarding salvation. But again, just for clarity and understanding, uh, salvation, is it, does it come through our righteous deeds? Is that what Titus is saying? Again, it's obvious, right? No, it's not our, not our goodness, not the great things we've done. It's not, not our community service. Again, those things do not get us into heaven. Uh, these passages make it clear. You'll be going to heaven because you have come to that place in your life where you say, you know, I'm standing on what Jesus Christ has done for me. He's done it all. He gave his very life for me. And through his death and sacrifice, you know, he paid the penalty for what my sin deserves, which is death. Jesus died for me. And I'm trusting in that. I'm placing my belief and faith in all of that. And that's why I'm going to heaven. But what about all these good things? Well, that's where James comes into play. James says, now that you are saved by faith, okay, you are trusting in Jesus, and the, and the way that we know that your faith is the real thing or the real McCoy is because we see things coming out of you now because of that faith. Good things come out of your life because you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. While I was attending seminary, I participated in a number of, of medical studies to earn money, okay? And in other words, I was a guinea pig. Uh, in one study, we were trying to determine the effects of uh, fish oil pills on, on the lining of one's stomach. Some medications that you take will irritate your stomach, irritate the lining of your stomach. And so they were trying to figure out how can we prevent uh, this irritation. And so they were looking into fish oil pills. If you take a bunch of fish oil before you start taking medication or with your medication, probably maybe this fish oil will prevent that irritation, that stomach irritation. So anyhow, I was the guinea pig, and so I was taking these pills, and they gave me tons of these pills, fish oil pills. Well, in order to have a, you know, a subjective study, 
you're going to have your real McCoy fish oil pills, and then you're going to have what they call the placebo, correct? The fake, and they're going to check the individual and see what kind of results are, take place when they're doing this. And so I don't know if I had the real McCoy or not, but I was curious. I was curious, and I asked this particular nurse that was administering all the medicines. I said, how does one know if, uh, if you have the real McCoy? How do you know if you're taking these fish, fish oil pills? And she says, well, if you smell like a fish, you probably have the real thing, okay? If you smell like a fish, you probably have the real thing. Well, the point of my story here this morning is that, you know, the real deal, if, you're, if you have the real deal, if you take the real pills, you're going to smell like a fish. I mean, if you have the real deal when it comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're, you're going to ooze Jesus. You're going to smell Jesus, okay, if your faith is the real McCoy, if it's real and genuine. You're, you're going to smell like a real Christian. And uh, that's what James is talking about. James is saying, you know, this whole idea that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and we don't see anything, he says, that's bogus. He says, if you really want to see what real faith is all about, well, here, take a look. The guy smells like Jesus. He looks like Jesus. Back to our story in the beginning, the young crippled boy, when the gentleman walked up, gathered up his packages gave him a dollar and apologized for that other individual's behavior. The young boy says, hey, thank you, mister. And by the way, are you Jesus? Okay. So if your faith is living and not dead, you're going to smell like Jesus, okay? It's going to ooze, your faith is going to ooze Jesus. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this real faith, this saving faith. In our text here, James explains that there are two signs of a living faith. Here's two signs of a living faith. Again, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, this is point number one. And here's the first sign or the first uh, characteristic of this living faith that James is talking about. James shares that faith that is living and not dead initiates an inward response. That's the first one. You, if your faith is genuine and real, it, it's going to initiate an inward response within you. Now, to back up that statement, James gives us two illustrations. And the first illustration involved Abraham, and the second was Rahab. Let's go look at Ahab, for, or excuse me, when you put Rahab and Ahab, you get Ahab, or whatever. But anyhow, let's look at Abraham. Abraham, he does two things that are very remarkable, if not crazy, okay? Two things that Abraham does that are remarkable, but also crazy. Number one, God says to Abraham, you know, you're going to be the father of my people, you know, from your seed will come the Israelite nation. But uh, before that happens, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to pull up roots and go to a country that is basically later to be determined. I mean, God knew, but he wasn't going to tell Abraham. So he says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull up your roots, move away from your home place, and go to a place that I'm going to tell you to go. And... Uh, of course, Abraham, what does he do? He pulls up roots, he believes, and he goes. That was number one. Number two, and you guys remember this particular aspect of his life pretty well, he ha finally has a son. They don't have a, 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 a biological child in their family. Abraham's wife couldn't have children, but God steps into the picture, and a miracle takes place, and Abraham's wife, Sarah, has a child, and they name him Isaac. Well, they're excited. 
But then God asked Abraham to do something with Isaac. What is it that he wants Abraham to do? He wants him to sacrifice his son, kill his son. That's nuts. But Abraham, what does he do? He does that. Well, God stops him, thank the Lord, but he stops him before he kills his own son. But he was going to do that. And so what James is telling us about here, he says, do you see what's taking place in these people's life? Abraham, he believed, first of all. There was, a, there was an inward response that was taking place. And that inward response was so significant and so strong that he was going to do it. All right? He's going to do it. It would be like us taking medicine. You know, if you believe that medicine is going to help you, help you, man, I mean, you've already come to that conclusion right, within yourself, that that medicine's going to help you before you take it. So that's what's taking place in Abraham's life. Then he goes on to his second illustration, which is Rahab. And Rahab was a prostitute living in the city of Jericho. And the Israelite nation, they uh, surround Jericho and they, well, they surround it about seven times, go around it seven times, and they blow the horn and yell and scream. And then the walls of Jericho come crashing in. Remember that story? Well, prior to that incident... Israel sent spies into Jericho to scope it out. There's a lady there by the name of Rahab, a prostitute, who houses these spies, who hides these spies so that the authorities cannot find them. And that particular offense, which she had just has done, is punishable by death. So we ask, why in the world would this lady risk her life? You know, I mean, this, she could be put to death for this. Why would she do this? Well, the reason Rahab does this is because she believes in the God of Israel. She knows that God is up to something great, and she wants to be a part of it. She doesn't want to be a casualty because of it. And already something has taken place within Rahab. She's already come to the conclusion inside, in her spirit, that this God is real, and he is the one that I want to follow. So... Our real, our real faith, as James says, will initiate an inward response, an inward response. So it begins internally. Now we move on to the second one here. James says a second sign of living faith is that the living faith initiates an outward response. So first of all, there's an inward response that is initiated because of faith that is genuine and real. Then, because of that inward initiation that takes place, there is an outward that takes place as well. So let's talk about that. If your faith is real, you will smell like Jesus. This is the outward expression. If your faith is genuine, you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to ooze Jesus. That's what James says. And he uses another illustration to kind of convey this whole idea of smelling like Jesus or oozing Jesus. And uh, that's in verses 15 through 17. Uh, this illustration comes to us as more as a contrast. Uh, not exactly, he's not saying, oh, look at this. Here's an example of someone oozing. Uh, he uses a contrast here. He says this, suppose a brother or sister was, was without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, hey, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In other words, what good is your faith? In the same way, he says, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So remember, point number two there was this, you know, 
uh, a genuine faith will initiate an outward response. But if no outward response is seen in your life, right, you have more of a dead, dry faith, then, then your faith is not real. It's not, not living. Because a genuine faith will ooze Jesus. You will smell like Jesus. Kerry Oberbrunner, is his name, Kerry Oberbrunner, he, he authored a book, it's entitled, Your Secret Name. And in this particular book, he shares a story that he encountered. Um, and this particular story involves a name by the, a gentleman by the name of Bob. He says here, while Kerry was at a local gym one day, he was trying to stay focused on his exercise routine. But while he was trying to do that, he noticed that there was an elderly man that was fumbling with his uh, MP3 player and the headphones, and he was having a difficult time. At first here, Kerry tried to ignore the man, but as the man was becoming more frustrated with the technology that he was trying to run, uh, Kerry reluctantly introduced himself and asked if he could be of help to this gentleman. Well, the man dejectedly explained, Hi, my name is Bob, and I love jazz, but I cannot get this dumb player to work, he said. When Carrie asked Bob if he had ever heard about iTunes, Bob says, I what? Okay. Well, it slowly dawned on Carrie that God had placed Bob in his path for a reason. So, they set a date when they could spend some time together, and uh, Carrie would begin unraveling Bob's MP3 troubles, trying to help him out. Well, anyhow, Carrie here continues his story, and here's his words. He says this, Against his initial wishes, I visited him at his apartment. And, of course, that's Bob's apartment. Turns out that Bob's wife had died a couple of years earlier, and all his earthly possessions were crammed into a small apartment. Uh, Bob's wife had been the main breadwinner, and so when she passed away, the bank repossessed Bob's house because uh, he couldn't make the payments, and so now he's living, living in this apartment. Carrie continues, Bob and I made a makeshift space in his back room near his desktop computer. One at a time, I imported his jazz CD collection onto his hard drive intending to transfer the MP3s eventually to his player. While importing his music, Bob and I talked about life, his wife, and of course, the Lord. The weeks following, I checked in on Bob often. Kind of funny how two guys who are complete opposites can become the best of friends, he says, all because of an MP3 player. Bob is 71. I'm 32, Carrie says. Bob is black. I'm white. Bob doesn't have much money. I have more than I need, Carrie says. Bob is an ex-convict. I've never been to jail. Bob is a widower. I'm married. In short, Carrie says, we're opposites, totally opposites. A short time later, I invited Bob to church, Carrie says, deeply desiring for him to meet Jesus. After a few invitations, he eventually accepted and sat with my wife and me last spring. 
If he felt awkward sitting in our mostly white church, he sure didn't let on. After the service, he says, we knelt together near the altar, and Bob told Jesus that he wanted to follow him. Bob confessed that he wanted to stop trying to control his life, and he invited Jesus to take over. Bob wept, and, I, and when I looked into his eyes, I saw a distinct peace that now defined Bob's face. Carrie says, Bob changed my life and the life of my church. I get more joy from him than I'll, he'll ever understand. Whenever I say goodbye to him at the YMCA or hang up the phone after talking with him, he always tells me to give his love to my family. And guess what? He wants me to baptize him in June at our next baptism. Started with an MP3 player. Bob became a follower of Jesus Christ because Carrie oozed Jesus. His faith was living and active, and he smelled like Jesus. And that aroma changed the life of some individual for eternity. What do you smell like? What do you use? I think our assignment's clear, isn't it? We have a responsibility. We who represent the Savior have a responsibility to smell like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thanks again for the challenge that you bring our life through the word communicated in James. Lord, help us. Help us to smell. Not in a horrible way. Not in a stinky way. We don't need any help doing that. Help us to smell. In a positive way. That changes the life of those around us. May we smell. Smell like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Once again, thank you for carving out the time to worship. The Lord is honored by your attendance here this morning. Thank you for putting him first in your life. You're going to have a great day today. So the Lord's blessings on you as you depart. We're finished here. So thank you.